Hey guys, welcome to the Self-Evident Podcast. It is 7 p.m. on a Sunday. I'm Mike. I got my buddy Richie in here with me. Richie. He's uh he's he's waving to you guys. He's nodding, he's dancing. Richard, I did not know that you could you could dance like that. That's amazing. <laughs> there are many things I don't know about you, but that's okay. I don't want to know them. Guys, just to let you know, Massey and Carrie are actually out in Texas. They just finished up homeschool convention. They've got a couple more dates. I will be out in Texas as well. So make sure to check out where they're going to be if you are one of our listeners out there in the great state of Texas. I love Texas. I'm, I'm telling you right now, if I could pick anywhere to live, Texas would definitely be in my top three. Would love to have some land in Texas. So shout out to all you Texas people. If you don't like Texas, well, you can stay in California. That would be beautiful. Anyways, how are you guys doing? Be sure to uh, make some comments, make some shares. Let me know you're out there. I'm going to get on the facey spaces right now. Get logged into it just in case you guys have some comments. Let me know what you think. Other than that, are you guys ready to go? Are we ready? Are we ready? Before I begin, do not forget to check out theselfevidenttruth.com. That is your place to go to figure out where we're going to be, what we're doing, what we have coming up for you, as well as it has some links for you, including 1776truth.store. Go there, buy some merch, get a shirt. You probably look better than I do in your shirt from Self Evident. We sold all kinds of shirts at our last event, and I, I love seeing shirts pop around. Massey and I were actually at a uh, Freedom Festival in Fort Pierce, what was it, about a week ago, two weeks ago? I don't even know. The time, time rolls together. But we saw one of our shirts out there, somebody we didn't know. Hey, man, if you were there, props to you. We love that you were wearing the pre-existing condition shirt. More power to you. Uh, go ahead and give a shout out if you see us, if you say something. Do it. Hey, guys. It's so good to see you guys. Micah, there's Massey, the man. He's up there. So don't forget to check out 1776truth.store. Get out there. Also, we do have our God vs. Government conference, our, our workbook that comes along with that. It's an educational course. Check that out. Get signed up for that. It's all online, so you can do it from the ease of home. You don't even have to take off your pajamas. Go for it. And we have the Constitution course coming up. We will give you more details. We're launching the Constitution course beginning of 2022. This is in-depth stuff. It's going to teach you everything you need to know about the history, the philosophy, the foundation of the Constitution, all the other founding documents. You're going to get information you never heard of before. It's beautiful. That being said, let's do this. It's News Bits time. Love you guys. Oh, yeah. Stu, thank you. Love you, too. It was great to see you the other day, Sue. So, News Bits. Here we go. Game on. So let's go to slide number one. I actually, I picked this story because I thought this was a good hope story. I think what you end up hearing, especially in conservative media, is that especially black families really want to defund the police. We tend to hear, especially in the inner cities, that's all they want is to defund police. You look at that title, the reporter witnesses surreal moment. In other words, unexpected, completely unconventional. 
Mostly black families rallied to support the police, while mostly white Antifa protested. So you had about 200 mostly black families rallied with police to call for an end to gun violence. So I I wanted to run through, because this was in Oakland, California, I wanted to run through some of the statistics just to show you what some of these people are putting up with. And that's that's what we have to understand, is these people are putting up with a lot. So, of course, they're kind of like... don't take my police. So your chances of becoming a victim of violent crime in Oakland are one in 77. Mind you, in Cali, in all of the state of California, one in 227. I would say Oakland is a little more dangerous than the state of California is on a whole. Property crime, one in 15 in Oakland. California is one in 43. But Oakland City Council of course, mostly Democrats, they decided to strip $17.4 million from the police budget and said they were going to send it to other programs and services. So yeah, one council person, man, member, non-gender, whatever you want to call him, Dan Kelb, said that they should focus on our violence prevention, affordable housing, our homeless populations, and that's what this budget helps us move forward and do violence prevention uh, richard that says to me police does that say police to you he he, he gives an affirmative i speak for him because he doesn't have the microphone police violence prefe- pre- prevention but what they're doing is they're taking 17.4 million away from the police and the people who are hurt the most are the ones that are out in the street actually lining up with police and saying, we don't want this. Even the mayor said, nah, we shouldn't do this. Let's, let's try some other things before we just start taking money from the police. And despite this rally being mostly black families, you did have white Antifa protesters, which tells you what they actually care about. They try to argue that they care about people of other races. What they actually care about is power and authoritarianism. They need to get the police out of the way in order to build up their own structure. This happened in Latin America all the time. They went after the police. They went after the structures of the community in order to be able to put their own in place. And that's what they're doing now. That's why you see this defund movement that's so wide. They want police out of the way because then they can wreak havoc and violence. And finally, these families are starting to stand up and really say, no, 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 we don't want this. And they need to get louder and they need to step up more against this type of stuff. And so you might ask, okay, what do Christians do? A lot of times you'll ask, okay, that I, I agree with you, but I'm a Christian as well as a conservative. What, what do I do? This is why we talk about Christ in politics. We hear all the time, you, well, Jesus isn't supposed to be in politics. We, we don't mix politics and faith. We don't. What you are saying is that you are ceding ground to Satan. Oh, come on. Don't be so black and white. You are ceding ground to Satan. Because guess what? If it's not under Christ's authority, whose authority is it under? Who's the ruler of this earth? As per Christ's words, Satan. 
So when you don't get Christ involved in all areas of society, in all areas of your life, what you are actually saying is, I don't want you to be in charge of this, Christ. I want Satan to be in charge of this. Why in your right mind would you decide, well, (laughs) Christ, just stay in the church. Let's let Satan run the politics area. Think about it. This is why we say it is so important for Christians to get involved. My question for you would be, would be, if that council was filled with spirit-filled Christians, do you believe that they would take $17.4 million away from the Oakland police? Think about it. Do you really believe a group of spirit-filled Christians would go, you know what we need to do? We need to allow lawlessness in our streets. Sounds like a good idea. And, and we'll do some housing programs instead. That'll solve the problem. Let alone the fact we're not even going to get into the idea of parents and fathers in the home. And if you really want to get to the source of the problem. But when you ask about, okay, what, what should a Christian do? This is why a Christian gets involved. If you don't feel called to the politics realm, at least be willing to support those in that community who are willing to make the changes. And sometimes that means getting yourself involved. I remember uh, a while ago, there were Trump supporters, a a big group of them, who went to areas that were were really torn apart by the riots, and they cleaned it up free of charge. They volunteered their time. And the funniest thing was the charge that came against them, well, they're they're just doing it as a show, except they kept doing it, and nobody on the other side was doing it. So you had conservatives who really have no skin in the game in those areas because most of them weren't from those areas come in, volunteer their time to clean up tons and tons and literally the weight amount of tons of trash. And they were accused of doing it for show by the same people who wouldn't do anything. Be accused for your good works, right? So do your good works. That may mean if you are around the Oakland area, it's time to get involved. Go into the Oakland area where those rallies are, where those families are, and support them. Say, what can we do to help you? Or if you have an inner city area near you where you know that type of thing is going on or there's churches that are really trying to fight for the better of their community, help them out. Once we get ourselves involved in the game, then we can start changing things because Christ can change things. That's the beauty of hope. Christ can change things. So, let's go to the second story. Slide number two. This one's good, too. I want you guys to read that. Capitol Police opened field offices to investigate threats to the lawmakers. Because of course. Right? (laughs) Because of course. The U.S. Capitol Police. Capitol. Capitol. Capitol Police. So Capitol, D.C., they've announced that they're going to start opening regional field offices in California and Florida to begin with in order to better investigate threats against members of Congress. Of course, this plan was announced on the six-month anniversary of the event that shall not be named because of banhammers. The event, we all know what we're talking about, the protest of protests, right? A spokesman said the department efforts are to operate more like a protective agency 
such as the Secret Service, rather than a traditional police department. When you start opening regional field offices, what I start hearing immediately is intelligence gathering and uh, FBI. That's really what I hear. We don't need another department. We really don't. Some would even question the necessity of having departments like the FBI or the NSA or the CIA. That's another argument. We don't need another. But the Capitol Police have decided that what happened in the event that shall not be named was so important that they need field offices now to start going after those evil, awful people who happen to be there, even if all they did was stand outside. So they're going to work closely with the U.S. Attorney's Office. And this, this is planned for San Fran and Tampa with more in the future. And they said it was because California and Florida, that's where a lot of our threats are coming. So that's where we're going to start. That's because they're just practicing. This is, this is the baseline. When a franchise moves into a new area, they pick a very uh, strategically located spot. And they test things out with that new franchise in that new area, that new market. To see how it goes, to see if they can get their feet under them, if, if they'll make profit, if they'll continue on. This is the same thing. All they're doing is they're adjusting and reorganizing how they're going to approach this in these two field offices. And guarantee my words, they will start opening them up across the country. Especially if they can have another event that tells them, oh, we need more. We need more. So in the article, it was saying this means opening up field offices, right? And then they start talking about improving responses to major events. Okay, you want to improve your responses, that's fine. But why do you need to open more field offices? If you're worried about these threats, don't we have other departments that are already doing this? Which we have billboards that are hot, have hotline numbers on them for you to rat out people who happen to be there. Notice the, the language that is coming out now is domestic extremism, domestic terrorism, all of that stuff with, of course, white nationalism, white supremacy, white extremism. You have all politicians that can benefit from this spouting it out all the time. Hillary Clinton spouting it out all the time. This is the new enemy. The uh, going after terrorists such as the Taliban and ISIS, that was warm-up. That was warm-up. Now the guns are starting to point domestically. And I'm not saying this to be the crazy Alex Jones conspiracy theorist. What I'm trying to say is you have to be aware of what's going on around you. Now, once again, okay, what do we do about this? What, what can we do? Authoritarian government is coming down on us, and then they're starting to point their guns. You have to get involved, right? Beat an old drum. You have to seek Christ and seek prayer. This is So I was reading an article, and, and I want you guys to hear this because I think this is really important. I was reading an article which was talking about all the stuff that was going on. We have inflation that, that seems to be starting to swing out of whack quite a bit. We have droughts that are going on, especially on the west side of things. We have grasshoppers out on the west side of things. Now, 
You may say, well, so what? Grasshoppers. Grasshoppers so thick that they're clearing out fields. Doesn't that sound a lot like locusts, which are related to grasshoppers? We, we have lawlessness running in our major cities. It seems to be that America is drunk and reeling. That everything is going haywire. We don't seem to have very many politicians that we can look at and say, that man is representing me well. That man is standing on principle. We don't seem to have a whole lot of respect and honor for God in our schools or in our government buildings or even on our, our media, our entertainment, our houses. A lot of our churches seem to have backed off from ex- respecting God and honoring God. How can you say that? How many churches closed their doors because they were afraid of the government? Not because, I'm not saying if they were called, you need to shut the doors. If the Lord said, look, you need to shut your doors, amen, do it. But how many churches actually sought the Lord's word in order whether or not to close their doors? But they just said, well, the government's telling me to close my doors, so you know I can't preach the word of God. I'll do it online. But now you've forsaken worship, communion of the body. So we have all of these events going on. So the question becomes, well, what can we do? Prayer, fasting, getting on your knees, that's what they were doing during the time of the revolution, during independence. When they needed the Lord, they were down on their knees and they were worshiping, fasting, and praying. And the beautiful part is revival is going to hit America. Revival is going to hit America, and now is the time for you to pray to be a part of it. We have to be a part of it. The beautiful thing is when all of this stuff happens, people stop paying attention to everything else, and they start paying attention to who the Lord is. And this is that opportune moment, so take hope. This is that moment when people start actually listening to the Lord. They start coming back. And when that happens, beauty breaks out. Satan starts fleeing from the revival. We can do this, guys. And the Lord's going to do it through us. You just have to be on it. You have to be on the train. You have to be a vessel. You have to be part of it. We can do this. And I love it because when it's dark, that is when the light shines the best. I was talking with somebody on Saturday about this. That's when your light shines the best. When I was out in North Dakota, I was, I was in the oil fields. I, I was at the height of the boom in North Dakota, in, in Williston, which was kind of the town to be in. And what was interesting is you could feel spiritually a darkness resting over that city. You could just feel it. But the beautiful part was you recognized the light all the more that was going on around the city. The churches that were stepping up, the people who were being drawn to it, by the Spirit of God. And I really feel that that is happening right now is the Lord is waking up His church and He is starting those fires of revival. The, here on the Treasure Coast, so many people have been pulled into the Treasure Coast by the Lord. I'm one of them. I never thought I would be in Florida on the East Coast. I never wanted to be in Florida. Yet here I am. And I love it. I, palm trees, right? I always look at palm trees. Remind myself, those are beautiful. And God has brought me here and so many other people here. I was just sitting next to a guy on Saturday who he works in DC 
And he was talking about how he just feels drawn to the Treasure Coast. The Lord is doing something. So get on the train. Be a part of it. Be active in it. And you can make change because you're part of him. So that being said, Richie, you ready for the main topic? Let's do this. Let's do the main topic. It's time. Wait. Need a sip. Okay. Okay. So the main topic, slavery. Slavery. How many of you guys have heard that uh, the founders all owned slaves? The founders, uh, they were evil white men that were fighting for slavery in order to get independence. That was their whole aim was just to have their own slavery. And I've, I've got to keep another screen up, so I'll, I'll periodically check back on the comments. So please leave questions if you need to. I'll get to them periodically. Richie, even let me know if you see a really good question. Point it out to me. So let's get started. Basically, what I'm going to be doing is my slavery presentation. Why? Because this is such a good topic for right now, and so many people are asking these questions. I want to give you answers or when people are bringing this up, well, Jefferson, you know, he said he fought for slavery, but then he didn't release his slaves when he died. I'll get to that. What about Washington? He had slaves. I'll get to that. I'll get to this stuff. I'll talk about the founders. I'll talk about the documents. Let's look at this in an accurate view. So if you're ready, it's time. Benjamin Rush. Benjamin Rush said this, ye men of sense and virtue. Ye advocates for American liberty, rouse up and espouse the cause of humanity and general liberty. Bear a testimony against a vice which degrades human nature and dissolves that universal tie of benevolence which should connect all children of men together in one great family. The plant of liberty is so tender a nature that it cannot thrive long in the neighborhood of slavery. Benjamin Rush said that. So when you're told all of the founders owned slaves, all of them were racist, all of them you know, loved having slaves and hated black people, well, there's one, Benjamin Rush, who he himself said, look, if you're going to say you're part of the family of God, you can't own slaves. We're all equal here. What about James Madison? He said, where slavery exists, the republic theory becomes still more fallacious. In other words, it becomes more false. You can't have the republic theory if you're going to have slavery. Why? Because all of a sudden you're saying some men are equal, some aren't. James Madison, one of the big ones, right? George Mason, as much as I value a union of all the states, I would not admit the southern states into the union unless they agreed to the discontinuance of this disgraceful trade, i.e. slavery, because it would bring weakness and not strength to the union. Let me ask you a question. Did slavery end up bringing weakness to America? Do you notice that is the thing that always gets points to as the weakness and the sin of America? Think what would have happened if they had stood strong and gotten rid of it right away. Now, Massey and I have talked about this before. The question becomes, why didn't they? You had states that were holdouts on the topic of slavery. There were people who really wanted to keep slavery because it was economically viable. Maybe they really thought black people just didn't have any sense to them. Benjamin Franklin was one of those, but reformed himself. 
and I'll get to his story. But let's get a quote from him. Slavery is such an atrocious debasement of human nature that its very extirpation, if not performed with solicitous care, may sometimes open a source of serious evil. So was America the only country that had slavery? Obviously, no. But a lot of times what we're basically told is America's original sin was slavery, and we only focus on America. Did you know, which I'll get to this more in a second, but did you know Brazil received 3.5 million slaves in the slave trade? America received 300,000. So who's more evil if you're just going to go by numbers? America? Or Brazil? How come we don't hear that Brazil was, what, 35% of the slave trade? We don't hear about that. All we hear about is America, which was something like 4.4%, and I'll get to those numbers. So slavery, let's go to, uh, never mind, hold on. <laughs> so slavery was a major part of Islamic raids in both sub-Saharan Africa and Europe. So a lot of people don't realize this. Right after Islam was started, it was 700, 740, something like that, they started slave trades across the Mediterranean coast. So the coast of, yep, coast of Europe became so bad that the First Crusade was actually a response to the Islamic slave trade. This was 400 years, though, after the slave trade had started. This is the 1100s. So the slave trade was so destructive that it turned the Mediterranean into a war zone. It split the unity of the Roman civilization and Christendom in general and essentially gave birth to the medieval world. It basically brought Europe into the Dark Ages. Islamic slave trade. Christianity finally defended itself in the 11th century. Eventually, the Ottoman Empire took over. The Ottoman Empire, man, they, they perfected the slave trade. Statistics suggest that Istanbul's additional slave imports from the Black Sea may have totaled around 2.5 million people from 1453 to 1700. New research suggests that 1500 to 1650, when transatlantic slaving was still in its infancy, more white Christian slaves were probably taken to Barbary than black African slaves to the Americas. Did you realize whites were slaves? So often we're told that slavery was the rape of Africa, which it was, but it was also the rape of Europe as well. We have to remember slavery was not a single country sin. It was a global sin. Everybody was doing it. You want to know how I know that? Because how many countries had to abolish it, had to get rid of it. So by the Middle Ages, slavery did not really exist in England. It morphed into serfdom, and then they got back into the slave trade. Poland, sale and purchase of human beings was forbidden in the 1400s. Lithuania, formally abolished in 1588. Russia, considered slaves in, converted slaves into serfs in 1679. The Caucasus and Central Asia area, they had it till the 1850s. Britain, 1807, abolished the slave trade. Venezuela and Mexico, 1810. Chile, 1811. Argentina, 1812. Spanish colonies, 1880. Puerto Rico, 1873. Cuba, 1880. Mind you, the Civil War ended in 1865. So plenty of these countries did it after. Brazil was the last to abolish slavery in 1888. Britain itself made sure that it was entire empire 
was wiped clean of slavery. India, 1861, Lagos and Nigeria, 1861. British missionaries started work to end it at its source in Malawi in 1870. China formally abolished it in 1910. Korea, 1930. Parts of Africa and the Islamic world held on until after World War I. The League of Nations finally made the final extinction of slavery as its obligation. This was successful in Africa. By the 1930s, it was abolished in Liberia and Ethiopia. Saudi Arabia, listen close, Saudi Arabia did not abolish slavery until 1960. It's almost 200, or sorry, 100 years after America. Yet America holds the original sin. So what about slaves transported, right? This would be slide number five. Our boy can find it. So slaves transported to Portugal, which included Brazil, 4.6 million. British North America, U.S., 300,000. France, including the West Indies, had 1.2 million. Spain, including Cuba, had 1.6 million. But we never hear about those. We don't talk about those. So slaves delivered. Notice the difference. Slaves transported versus slaves delivered, a.k.a. How many people died on those slave ships in between these two continents or those two continents? How many people died? So slaves delivered Brazil, 4 million, 35% of the total delivered to the new country or new area, Brazil. Spanish Empire had 22%. French West Indies, 17%, or sorry, British West Indies, 17%, French West Indies, 14%, British North America and U.S., 4.4%. So because of 4.4% delivered, we are decided to be the unique nation which had slavery. I am not arguing against the idea that slavery is wrong. Slavery is absolutely evil and wicked. What I'm arguing against is the fact that when somebody comes to you and says, well, America, had slavery, you can come back and say, did you know that Brazil had 35% of total slaves delivered? You can say, did you know the U.S. transported 300,000 slaves, but Brazil transported 4.6 million? So if we're going by raw numbers, evil equals number, then evil was really in Brazil. You should be having CRT in Brazil. You should be having 1619 Project in Brazil and, and calling it whatever. But we don't. We attack America. So sometimes people will say, yeah, but, you know, they enshrined it. They wanted to keep it. So let's go to the original draft of the Declaration of Independence. This is slide six. So the Declaration of Independence was a document that went at the king. It told the king everything he was doing wrong, and America was trying to say, we want separation from you. And this section was written by Thomas Jefferson, the man who we're always told was so wicked in owning his slaves and, and so contradictory. Again, we'll get to that. 
So this is what they wrote. He has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. This piratical warfare, the opprobrium of an infidel powers, is the warfare of the Christian king of Great Britain, a.k.a. you're calling yourself Christian, yet you're doing this. Determined to keep open a market where men should be sought, bought and sold, he has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or to restrain this execrable commerce. And that this assemblage of horrors might want no fact of distinguished to die, he is now exciting those very people, the slaves, to rise in arms among us and to purchase that liberty of which he has deprived them. He's buying them off in order to fight against the colonists. And murdering the people upon whom he has also obtruded them, thus paying off former crimes committed against the liberties of one people with crimes which he urges them to commit against the lives of another. He commits these crimes against these people. He takes them over. He sells them in markets. He, he suppresses all the laws that are trying to do away with this. And then suddenly he starts telling those people, hey, I'll pay you off. I'll give you liberty as long as you take up arms against these colonists who I've shoved you onto. Now, you may wonder, okay, why wasn't that in the Declaration of Independence? Why did it get taken out? So there were two states that chose to fight against that. You had South Carolina and Georgia. And Jefferson actually was writing a letter talking about the removal, and he said the clause reprobating the enslaving the inhabitants of Africa was struck out in compliance to South Carolina and Georgia, who had never attempted to restrain the importation of slaves who on the contrary still wish to continue it. Our northern brethren also, I believe, felt a little tender under these censures. For though their people have very few slaves themselves, yet they had been pretty considerable carriers of them to others. And I actually have a quote from somebody, but I don't know if I can find it real quick. Here it is. The former governor of Massachusetts Okay, so, so some northern states, Thomas Hutchinson, he echoed these sentiments in his strictures upon the declaration of the Congress of Philadelphia. He said, I could wish to ask the delegates of Maryland, Virginia, and the Carolinas how their constituents justify their depriving more than 100,000 Africans of their rights to liberty and the pursuit of happiness and in some degree to their lives if these rights are so absolutely unalienable. He attacked. He attacked. So when you say, well, all of them wanted slaves, that's completely false. Jefferson wrote in the original draft of the Declaration of Independence that slavery, now what I've heard, I've heard an argument against this, that, well, he wasn't talking about slavery. He was just talking about the fact that the king was basically enslaving the colonists because there was a practice where if you were charged with a crime, you could be held on a ship out in the water. This isn't talking about that. And you can tell when you actually read it, it's not talking about that. He says carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, well, that's when they're taking them over to Britain. No, because markets. 
He was talking about markets, selling people. Those prisoners were never sold on a market. They were taken to court across the sea. Jefferson was talking about slavery, especially in his own letter when he says the enslaving of the inhabitants of Africa. He's saying, look, that was about the slaves of Africa. So more documents. I want to give you everything you need so you can read back, watch back, clip back, email back, and get these documents so that when somebody says, well, they, man, they supported slavery, they love slavery, you can say, no, there were all kinds of writings and documents that tried to get rid of it. It was a fight. It really was a fight. So let's not say that it was perfect because there were people who were standing up, like South Carolina and Georgia, were standing up for slavery. But I'm not going to allow anybody to tell me that, well, America was founded because they wanted to protect slavery. So 1777, the Vermont Constitution was the first document in the U.S. to abolish slavery. So chapter one of the Constitution, titled A Declaration of the Rights of the Inhabitants of the State of Vermont, said, No male person born in this country or brought from overseas ought to be holden by law to serve any person as a servant, slave, or apprentice after he arrives to the age of 21 years, nor female in like manner after she arrives to the age of 18 years unless they are bound by their own consent. After they arrive to such age, are bound by law for the payments of debts, damages, fines, costs, or the like. They were the first constitution to actually abolish slavery. 1777. Now, 1787. Notice those dates. 1777. That was right during the Revolutionary War. 1787. Okay? Right around the time that the constitution was starting to become formed. Northwest Ordinance was passed, which this was the new territory out to the west, right? Northwest. In Article 6, it stated, There shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in the said territory. Otherwise, then in the punishment of crimes whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, provided always, that any person escaping in the same from whom labor or service is lawfully claimed in any one of the original states, such fugitive may be lawfully reclaimed and conveyed to the person claiming his or her labor or service as foresaid. Now that, we can point to and say, hey, you shouldn't have done that. Because basically what that said was, look, if you're a runaway slave, you get to the Northwest. Well, if they catch you, they can bring you back. But the language of Article 6 was quoted verbatim in the 13th Amendment. Section 1, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So let's go through some dates. I know I'm throwing a lot of information to you, but we have to know this information. So did you know 1794, they prohibited outgoing slave trade? 1798, they prohibited the bringing of slaves from Africa into the Mississippi Territory. This was 10 years before they had the authority to do the same thing as the states existing at the adoption of the Constitution. 1800, they prohibited American citizens from trading in slaves between foreign countries. 1803, they passed a law in aid of one or two state laws in restraint of the internal slave trade. 1807, they passed the law nearly a year in advance to take effect. 1808, the very first day the Constitution would prohibit, prohibit, permit prohibiting African slave trade by heavy pecuniary and corporal punishments. 1820, 
Finding these provisions ineffectual, they declared the trade piracy and annexed to it the extreme penalty of death. By 1820, it was the death penalty for slave trade. So we had founding fathers who did not have slaves. Yet John Adams, Samuel Adams, Oliver Ellsworth, Alexander Hamilton, Payne, Payne, Sherman, right? Robert Tree, Payne, Thomas Payne, Roger Sherman. What about Washington? What about him, right? Kind of like, okay, uh, Washington had slaves. So he did own slaves. And I want you to take notes because Washington and Jefferson are two guys they always bring up. He owned slaves. However, due to the death of Martha's first husband, a third of the slaves in Mount Vernon were given to Martha. So due to state law, they could not free those slaves. So state law forced them to retain those slaves. At her death, those slaves were divided among her grandchildren, which was part of law, part of the, the transfer of debts, financial holdings, property, that kind of thing. Washington himself freed his slaves when he died. He even left financial support for those who were old or invalid in order to take care of them. Does that sound like a man who is just completely racist? He gave financial support to slaves who were old or invalid in order to take care of them. What about Benjamin Franklin? He owned six slaves. Early in life, viewed blacks as inferior. He did. He, he thought they had diminished mental capacity and that so slavery was best for him. He got involved in a black children's school and he quickly changed his mind. What he realized was the difference was a result of negative environment and harsh conditions, which, of course, negative environment, harsh conditions, limited, limited stimuli in terms of learning, growth. Of course, you're going to have diminished mental capacity. In address to the public, a letter written November 9, 1789, he argued that slaves had been treated as brute animals beneath the standard of human species. He asked for resources to help freed slaves. On February 3rd, 1790, he petitioned Congress to end slavery. So Jefferson, this is the big one. Okay, you've stuck with me so far. You're going to be asking, what about Jefferson? What about him? So he was vocal against slavery. He even drafted a Virginia law that prohibited the importation of enslaved Af Africans. He held firm that emancipation would have to be a part of the democratic process. Okay, we can't just force this. The people have to vote for it. So you wonder, okay, when he died, he did not release all but, I think, six of his slaves, six or seven. So the question becomes, what happened? Because he owned a couple hundred slaves. So when his father-in-law died, his wife inherited, much like George Washington, his wife inherited, which means he did, because guess what? It gets put on him. Her father's land and slaves, now here's the trick, plus a lot of debt. He was not able to get out from under that debt his entire life. So there was a law that was passed in Virginia in 1792 that said if a person was in debt, any slaves he might free could be seized by his debtors. So the question becomes, okay, if Jefferson tries to free his slaves, then they can be seized by debtors. Would those slaves be under better conditions under Jefferson or under those debtors? Kind of the evil you know versus the evil you don't. 
So Jefferson was always under this cloud that you know he couldn't free his slaves because they could be seized by his debtors. So in 1806, a law was passed in Virginia that said if a person freed slaves, those slaves had to flee, leave the state within one year, they'd be seized by the state. So Jefferson realized that even if he avoided the 1792 law, they had to be expelled. But the problem was, okay, he didn't have a lot of means to buy them animals, buy them tools, buy them land, set them up. He, he really did feel hamstrung by this. He also had a lot of children and grandchildren who he was trying to support. He was supporting 15 to 20 family members at Monticello. So when he died, his family was under a lot of debt. And he couldn't just release those slaves because then the debtors could go after them. So it was actually financially more of a decision in order to say, look, I'll give the slaves to children and grandchildren. They can figure out the debt because, sorry, guys, you have a bunch of debt to take care of. So George Washington, he was wealthy, right? He wasn't in debt, so he wasn't affected by the 1792 law. He had no biological relatives, no children, no dependents he was taking care of. When he decided to free his slaves after his and Martha's death, they could stay on the land where, because that 1806 law didn't, hadn't been passed. So Washington didn't have to worry about that. Jefferson had to worry about, if I free them, they can't stay here. They have to try and get out, but I don't have anything to give them, so they're on their own. Jefferson believed slavery was morally wrong, but he was also trapped by his financial responsibilities. You could say, yeah, but he should have figured something out. Have you ever had creditors coming after you? You start to kind of pare down your priorities into, okay, I've got to take care of first things first. And sometimes, unfortunately, that means other people get hurt. I'm not defending the fact that he had to make hard choices, but what I'm saying is when you look at these people in a real human sense, you get the idea that maybe they had tough choices they had to make. Jefferson was supportive of Wilberforce fighting for abolishing slavery over in Britain. Jefferson was the one who wrote the original draft of the Declaration of Independence. He could have not put that in. Jefferson was the one who was drafting legislation to try and abolish slave trade. He wanted to get rid of it. Sometimes the argument comes, well, he tried to get rid of slave trade, so that would increase the value of his slaves, so that way you know, he could make more money. It just doesn't stand up, guys. Think about it. If you're under a lot of debt, a lot of stress, you know that debt's going to be passed on to your family. You make the decisions you have to make. So let's go to uh, the next slide. What is that? Slide number eight. So this guy, slide number eight, Samuel Adams. That's right. This is a beautiful picture. I'm sure you all love that picture. <laughs> so Samuel Adams. Let's hear what he had to say. So he said, but to the eye of reason, what can be more clear than that all men have an equal right to happiness? Nature made no other distinction than that of higher or lower degrees of power of mind and body. AKA nature gave all mind equal degrees of mind and body. Where the talents and virtues which heaven has bestowed on men given merely to make them more obedient drudges? No. In the judgment of heaven, there is no other superiority among men than a superiority of wisdom and virtue. Benjamin Franklin said that mankind are all formed by the same almighty being. I thought he was an atheist, man. 
alike objects of his care and equally designed for the enjoyment of happiness. The Christian religion teaches us to believe and the political creed of Americans fully coincides with this position. We earnestly entreat your serious attention to the subject of slavery, that you will be pleased to countenance the restoration of liberty to those unhappy men who alone in this land of freedom are degraded into perpetual bondage and who are groaning in servile subjection. Thomas Jefferson, the whole commerce between master and slave is a perpetual exercise of the most boisterous passions, the most unremitting despotism on the one part and degrading submissions on the other. And with what execration, hers, should the statesman be loaded who permitting one half the citizens thus to trample on the rights of the other? And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure? When we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated, but with his wrath, indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. People detach that quote and don't realize he's talking about slavery. When we talk about liberty, these men understood the concept of liberty. Were they perfect in defining it and defending it and upholding it? No. Did they try their best? Yes. So you may ask, well, why didn't they abolish slavery then? I want you to get 55 people in a room and get them all to come up with a system of government. And I want you to remember that all of them have their own desires, their own goals, their own passions, their own directives, their own constituents that they have to think about. Now, was it right that they didn't abolish slavery right on the outset? No. But they understood how fragile the union was. If they hadn't taken out that section in the Declaration of Independence, South Carolina and Georgia might not have joined the effort. They might have joined the crown. And so then you don't have 13 colonies, you have 11 colonies fighting the crown. Who The king was ruling over, what, 500 million people? This is something that we have to think about is, in reality, we like to look at the past as 2020, but what you have to understand is, it's not 2020. You're looking at it with your own biases and perfections. When in reality, if you realize how many decisions you've made that were bad, yet you still tried your best to make the right decision, you'll have a little more grace for people when they're trying to make a goal, yet they can't seem to get everything they want. And that was true. There were people fighting to retain slavery. We fought a civil war over that. Okay, that was part of it. Don't forget, states' rights was a big part of the civil war. You have to have a realistic, accurate outlook of what is going on. History is not perfect. History is beautiful and so grotesque and disgusting at the same time. 
And so Massey said, look, it's a lot like the heartbeat bill. It absolutely is. Notice they abolished slave trade. So importation of slaves, yet there was still markets going on domestically. And, and, and then they got rid of that, but there was still generational and you know private sales and all of that. You could say the heartbeat bills are compromises. So will they look at us in 100 years and say, well, you know, how come they only did the heartbeat bill, but they couldn't, you know, outlaw abortion? They should have outlawed abortion. How come they supported it? You sometimes compromise is all you can do to make your steps. So why do people hold the founders to a standard that they themselves don't hold to their own lives? Absolutely. How come you hold them to a perfect standard, but you give yourself all the grace? When you're driving, Somebody cuts you off. How many fingers do you fly? <laughs> but if you cut somebody off, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, my bad, my bad. Didn't mean to. Have mercy. We always give ourselves grace, but we have to have grace for others that sometimes they're put in extremely difficult situations. Let's look. We got anything else on here? Anything? Any other? Okay. Richard, did you see anything, any comments that need to be addressed? No? We're pretty good? Okay. If you guys have any questions, please, 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 please post it. I'll give you two minutes while I do our sign-out stuff. If, if you ask a question, I'll answer it. Don't, don't leave until you know if your question's been answered, because maybe you have it, but somebody else has the guts to do it. Dropping hints. Maybe you should do it. So, don't forget check out 1776truth.store. Buy some merchandise to help us get this message out among other messages. The other part of it is, guys, we don't just speak these political messages. We minister to people. We pray for people. We reach out to people, right? We try to lift people up into Christ, but we're also going to give you history and truth. Check out self-evident, theselfevidenttruth.com. Check that out. Support us. Look, we have a monthly sponsorship program. I see a couple of questions, and I'll get to those, but let me talk about this, the monthly support program. We have the Torchbearer Society. When you become a torchbearer and you start being a monthly member, you support us going out and being able to extend this out to other people and being able to minister to people. It truly is a missionary act. You may say, well, you guys do a political message, you do a government message, you can't possibly be ministering to people. Man, the stories we have of when we're ministering to people and speaking into people and telling people things that the Lord has for them. This is not just about government, this is about the Lord. So if you feel called to support us, please think about joining and becoming a member of the Torchbearer Society. Get online, go to selfevidenttruth.com, theselfevidenttruth.com. I don't want to shorten that because then you'll say I'm sending you to the wrong place. Theselfevidenttruth.com. Get on there, become a torchbearer. Okay, so got a couple of things. Massey says the three-fifths clause. What does that mean? A lot of people ask this. Well, the three-fifths clause. But the three-fifths clause was another one of those compromises because they knew. So it was talking about voting representation. And what the slave states wanted was one person, one vote. But the part of that was they wanted to count all the slaves as a voter in representation in the government, yet not let the slaves vote. Now, if the northern states had said, no, we're not doing anything like that, the southern states would have walked away from the con 
constitution, they would have let the convention fall apart. Nothing would have happened. And so what the northern states on that compromise decide, well, we'll give you three-fifths. They'll give you a little representation, but we're telling you, you're not doing this right. Um, let's see. What else? Destiny. I see such a hate for America now, and I'm tired of it. I believe God's hand on my generation is still there. I agree with you, Destiny. I really believe these next generations coming up are the ones that are truly carrying the fire of the Lord. They are carrying the Spirit to hand out in major, major waves across this nation. And what I love is that they're seeking it. And so you guys, you seek it. You seek it with everything you have because these arguments are going to come against you. People will say, well, America is a slave nation, so therefore Christians support America, so therefore Christians are evil because they support a slave nation. You can cut through all of that. And what I'm giving you is stuff to give you the truth so that you can stand firm in truth. Walk in the Spirit. Speak love to others. Speak truth to others together. Truth and love. Have grace for other people, compassion. Know that the arguments that are coming against you are not of flesh and blood, but they're spiritual arguments. And so you can't refer just or retort in kind. You have to retort in the spirit. Seek the Lord in everything you're doing. And destiny, amen. I absolutely agree. Patsy, thank you for the info on slavery. Such an issue that I have come up against lately. I agree. That's why I thought this was so important, Patsy. I, I really hope that this gives you some information to help comprehend and understand what's going on in all of these arguments. If you guys need any more information, do not hesitate to reach out to us. Do not hesitate to leave comments, shares, likes, but also email us. Get a hold of us on Facebook, wherever you want to get a hold of us. We'll answer your questions. We'll talk about this stuff. You have, you have refutation on something on this? Go ahead and bring it up. We'll discuss it. We're fine with that. So, that being said, Richard, you good? I'm good. Game on. Well, game over, really. <laughs> game on next week. We will be back next week, Sunday, 7 p.m. Guys, I love you so much. Thank you so much for your support. We will see you next week. Love you guys.